Amen. Please be seated. You can turn in your Bible to Luke's Gospel. Look at chapter 3, verses 21 through 38 this morning. There are Bibles available on the back table if you need one, along with some uh, things to uh, color for the kids. Um, We are going uh, kind of toward the beginning of a series uh, from Luke's Gospel on the life of Jesus Christ, and uh, we're still in chapter 3, and we've got to get through the rest of the book basically uh, by Easter time, so we're, we're starting to skip things, and uh, so we're going to skip, uh, unfortunately, Jesus' childhood incident in the temple, which I'm sure uh, is fascinating to all of us, ha- having so little information about Jesus as, uh, well, before he was 30-ish, um, it would have been good to be able to cover that, but we just can't cover everything in the in the book, so we're moving ahead uh, to talk about his baptism and the genealogy that we find at the end of Luke 3. And, um, and so I'm going to have to apologize for uh, theological geekery once again. Uh, there's not too many hot topics in our culture where the obvious answer is to point someone to the baptism and genealogy of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's not too frequently you're doing counseling and Say, oh, you've got problems with your marriage, eh? Have you considered the genealogy? Um, there, there probably is really actually good uh, use to be made of it in counseling, it's, uh, I'm sure. But, um, but I've really been looking forward to this one. I've had a lot of fun this week uh, studying and thinking about it. So at least that'll make one of us. And uh, it should, should just make it better for all of you, really. But um, th- It's about our relationship with God, and the sheer magnitude of our relationship with God at God's initiative is what's highlighted here, and it really should be a delight uh, for all of us to reflect on it together. So uh, that's what we're going to do this morning. Let's pray, and then we'll read the scripture. Father, as we consider your word, we pray for the help of your Holy Spirit, and we pray for that help in Jesus' name. Amen. I am going to read all of the names in the genealogy. So, uh, starting in verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Methat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Negai, the son of Maath, the son of Mattathias, the son of Semin, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Jonan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kosum, the son of Elmadim, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Jorim, the son of Methat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Meleah, the son of Mena, the son of Mattathiah, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, 
the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Praise be to you, O Christ. <clears throat> I need some water. <laughs> Oh, oh well, this is, uh, <clears throat> we're going to focus on the baptism part. <laughs> so, um, the baptism of Jesus is the first visible, audible, clear proof of God's triune nature, witnessed by people. Right? It was witnessed by a lot of people at his baptism that uh, our God is one God in three persons. Um, three distinct persons, three inseparable persons. Uh, in our God, there is unity in diversity and diversity in unity. And that has huge ramifications. God being who he is uh, means a lot for us, and we explored some of that in a series on the Trinity last summer. But this text, uh, which is recorded in each of the Gospels, it, it, uh, it really explodes the way that we think about God. Um, Historically, biblically before this, you don't have a very clear, obvious, you know, blatant, uh, explicit picture of God's triune nature. Uh, the whole emphasis kind of, a, of the Old Testament to this point is uh, his mo the, the monotheism of our religion is emphasized, right? There is one God. That's emphasized. And now suddenly you see that one God in three persons at Jesus' baptism. He's the one true God. He's the God who is and there is no other. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he here uh, reveals himself clearly for the first time to be one God in three persons. <clears throat> and it took Christian thinkers uh, quite a while to piece this together in a way that somewhat makes sense. And still we don't really understand how it's possible that God is one God in three persons. But, uh, but one of the major aspects of God's being triune, the Trinity, um, is captured by the Apostle John in his first epistle who said... God is love. God is love. From eternity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they have enjoyed loving, uh, delighted communion in one another. In fact, God doesn't just love. He doesn't just enjoy love. He is love right, in himself because the being of God is three persons. Uh, God is love. And that explains everything. It explains why the world was created, why it was made the way that it is. It explains why relationships are so important to us. It explains the varied beauty and the ordered diversity of the world. And above all, it declares that God is eternally, dynamically, joyfully, and uh, he, he, is, he is loving. Um, he's absolutely the kind of God that you'd want to have a relationship with if you knew anything. Right? You want to have a relationship with this God. And this God made us in his image. He made us able to have a relationship with him. And he set us on a trajectory to have eternal union 
communion with him, but we've got this problem, and that's sin. It's all of us have this problem. The relationship that we had with God, it's broken, it's gone, it's dead, it's worse, right? We are mortal enemies with God because of our rebellion against him, because of our self-centeredness. And and so we need reconciliation on a level that we can hardly fathom. We need forgiveness of sins, we need uh, reunion and renewal, and we can't make those things happen. You cannot do enough to fix things with God. If we're going to be restored in our relationship to God, it has to be because, even though we don't deserve it, he initiates our redemption and our salvation. He has to initiate it by his grace. And this is what we see clearly in the, in the baptism and genealogy. Uh, you see it clearly. Why was Jesus baptized? Commentators are stumped on this. They explore all these different possibilities of, you know, that everybody asks the question, why was Jesus baptized? Right? Because you look at John's baptism, John the Baptist, his cousin, is baptizing people in the wilderness, and scriptures make it pretty clear that the baptism that John was doing was for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus said he had to do that. He had to be baptized. Did Jesus have to be forgiven his sins? If John's baptism was about forgiveness and Jesus said, I've got to do this, um, was Jesus a sinner? Is that what this is saying? Or is Jesus somehow uh, lesser than John? Right? But, um, well, <clears throat> he wasn't baptized because he needed anything. Right? He was not baptized because he needed the forgiveness of sins. He, he was baptized to identify with people who needed the forgiveness of sins to identify with sinners who had already been baptized. Right? Now that's what's given to us here as a picture. He was baptized for us to unite himself to us and to carry us, to carry us through all of our need. Uh, it says in Matthew's version of the account <clears throat> that when Jesus came to John to be baptized, it said John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Not to fulfill righteousness for himself, as if he were needing forgiveness or needed to fulfill righteousness in his baptism for himself, but to put himself in a place where on our behalf he could fulfill all righteousness. That's what he does in his baptism, is he puts himself in a place with us, where he can fulfill righteousness on our behalf. Um, <clears throat> James Torrance has a book called Worship, Community, and the Triune God of Grace, and he has a paragraph in there, a quote. He says, When Jesus saw the people going down into the river to be baptized by John, confessing their sins, submitting to the verdict of guilty, which is repentance, Jesus said to John, Baptize me. I will submit to the verdict of guilty for them. He identified himself with sinners that he might take their place as their substitute under the judgment of God. So he marched to the cross to be baptized for us, to be circumcised for us, it says in Colossians 2. The gospel is that Christ was baptized in blood on the cross once and for all, one for all, the one on behalf of the many, the many in the one. In this way, his death was our death, His burial was our burial. His resurrection, our resurrection. His baptism for us, our baptism. 
If baptism sets forth the love of the Father, it is grounded in the substitution of the Son. There's a lot going on in that passage. Um, if you want to talk more about that, uh, we, can, we can do it during the sermon discussion. I'll bring my notes. But <clears throat> basically, what, what's going on in the baptism is that Jesus is expressing his solidarity with humanity. He's expressing his solidarity with humanity, his substitution for humanity. And not just with Israel, not just the people that he was part of, um, but with people from every corner of the world. And that's why the genealogy, right? That's why the, the genealogy in Luke comes at this point and it traces all the way back to the beginning, uh, beyond the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all the way back to the beginning of to Adam, who's the father of us all, right? And it's to show the universality of the scope of humanity with which Jesus pledges himself, for which he, he pledges himself and, and commits his solidarity to. What did Jesus' baptism do? What was the effect of it? It doesn't say he was baptized and God said this and then something really incredible happened. Right? The amazing thing was that when all the people were baptized, Jesus was baptized. That's the amazing thing. His baptism is not at all circumstantial. It's not at all peripheral to his coming into the world. The baptism of Jesus was the central purpose of the incarnation. The priority of the divine son, the divine son of God, the second person of the Trinity, becoming a human, the priority was baptism, right? Because baptism means a lot of things. It doesn't just mean, as in John's baptism, you're being cleansed, you're being forgiven your sins. Baptism means, uh, <clears throat> one of the things that it means is that um, it's an expression of solidarity. It's a corporate sacrament. It's a sacrament of union. We still acknowledge that when we have baptisms. We say, it's your, it's your entry into the church. You're being united to us as a brother or a sister. Right? Baptism means we're in this together, you and I. So the Son of God became a human. He identified himself with our sinful humanity and took upon himself the verdict that we deserve for our sin. He took about everything about our humanity he took to himself. And he said, we're in this together, you and I. So the judgment coming our way, he owned it. He owned it as his own. So <clears throat> baptism is a sign of judgment. It is a sign of cleansing, of purification through judgment. It's like what happened um, at the time of Noah with the flood. The flood was judgment. And it cleansed the whole world. And, it, and at the time of the Exodus, when the waters of the Red Sea closed in, um, after God's people had escaped through them, uh, and they, they closed in and flooded and, and destroyed the Egyptian army, that's judgment on the Egyptian army, and it's salvation for God's people, the same water. So in his solidarity with us, as one of us, not just as a distant God, but as one of us, his solidarity <clears throat> with us as our representative, Jesus was wiped out by God's righteous anger in order to cleanse us and make us right in our humanity. Right? And in Jesus' solidarity with us as one of us, God's declaration of love to him as a human is considered God's declaration to us. Right? So it's, it's after Jesus identified himself with sinful humanity, the, the people were baptized, and Jesus was praying. He, he was baptized, and he was praying. After that, 
as a human, he was declared to be God's beloved son. After his solidarity with sinful humanity had taken place, he was declared to be a human. So from eternity, uh, he was declared as a human to be God's beloved son. So from eternity, God had been pleased with his son, right? This was God's divine, the second person of the Trinity. God's son was beloved from all eternity. But now after his baptism, after his identification with sinful humanity, God declares his pleasure with his human son. And it says in uh, 21 and 22, the heavens were opened and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. So the heavens were opened. This is the ultimate reality of heaven, which is in a sense more real than this place. The ultimate reality of heaven broke through to this world, and the voice of the Father himself was heard on earth, and the Father declared Jesus to be not just his Son, the beloved Son, his beloved Son, with whom he was well pleased. And that's a statement of love and delight, and it falls on Jesus as a human who has identified himself with us. Not before he identified himself with us. After. God is declaring the sonship of Jesus' humanity. It's a humanity which is in union with our humanity. The Father is delighted in Jesus, not just as his divine son, but as his true human son. Again, it's the point of the genealogy. Jesus is a human. And the Father lavishes the Spirit upon the Son as a human. Verse 22 says, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And there could be a few ways in which a dove is symbolic. Um, but basically, a dove is beautiful, right? You've seen doves. Uh, thanks, Joe. You've seen doves floating around like they do. It's, uh, uh, it's beautiful to watch them fly and to watch them even land, right, doves? A dove is beautiful, a dove is graceful, and a dove here, I think, pictures the gentleness and the peacefulness of his love. As we read in uh, Isaiah 42 earlier, you know, he is, he is a gentle savior. Right? If you're just a, a smoldering wick, he's not going to blow you out. If you're a bruised reed, he's not going to break you. He is very gentle with you. <coughs> so <clears throat> a dove pictures the gentleness and the peacefulness of the love of God, which falls upon the human Jesus Christ who is united to us. Uh, Why did the Spirit, who was eternally showered on the Son by the Father, this was happened from eternity, why did he descend on Jesus at this particular time? Why not some other point in the 30-some-odd years before his baptism? Why was he not anointed with the Spirit before this? It's because of God's pleasure in Jesus as a man who stood with sinful humanity. Jesus, in his baptism, is standing with us. He's standing for us. And in doing that, he most reflected the Father's eternal Son. And it most reflected his divine sonship to stand as a human with sinful humanity. That's who God is. In fact, it it was the eternal divine Son who was acting in the person of Jesus Christ. So, Jesus' humanity reflects his deity, it reveals his deity, which is the best news for us. God stands with us. God stands for us. 
God the Father loves us. He sent his Son to stand in our place to draw us into union with himself, and he sends his Spirit upon humanity in Christ, just as he gives his own Spirit to his divine Son. And uh, Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 4, because you are sons, which is the result of your faith in Christ and being united to Jesus through your own baptism, um, because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And this is what God initiated. This reveals the heart of God. God chose... Thanks. God chose, as God, to be together with humanity, together with you and me, even as the eternal Father and the eternal Son are together in the Spirit. That's what God wanted for humans. God's Spirit given to Jesus as a human means God's Spirit given to us if we're united to Jesus Christ by faith and through our baptism. It's completely in accord with the divine nature to do this. It's not just kind of a parenthetical thing when Jesus came into the world and became a, a human that he started favoring humans, right? It is completely in accord with the divine nature to draw us into a relationship with God and give God's spirit to us. The son's deity, it didn't cease when he took humanity to himself. His deity was proved and proclaimed when he took humanity to himself, especially in his baptism, his union with us as sinners. And that's the incredible thing about the incarnation, about the baptism of Jesus. He does it for us as a man. He steps in as a man and takes what we deserve and gives us what he deserves. But first he does it as God. He initiated that as God, and he acted in the incarnation as the Son of God. And there's a sense in which this is salvation right here, right? This is our union with Christ through his baptism for us and the declaration of God's love for him as Son being shared with us, our adoption as sons and daughters into God's own family. That's, that's our salvation. Jesus is our high priest. Right? He's our mediator. He's the reconciler. He's the temple. He's the meeting place of God and man in himself. Everything terrible about us, everything objectionable about us as sinners in God's sight, he took upon himself in baptism. And everything good about him, everything coming to him as the perfect human being, he pledged to us at his baptism. And this great exchange was fulfilled at the cross where he died for us, at the resurrection where he lives for us, and in his ascension where he lives with God for us. Um, John 16, Jesus says uh, in verse 14, When the Spirit comes, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That's what the Spirit does in our baptism. Michael Reeves, uh, the book that we 
probably most of us have read, Delighting in the Trinity, um, he says that the Spirit takes what is the Son's and makes it ours. When the Spirit rested upon the Son at his baptism, Jesus heard the Father declare from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. But now that same Spirit of Sonship rests on me. The same words apply to me. In Christ, I am an adopted, beloved, Spirit-anointed Son. That's true of all of us by faith in Christ. Because of his baptism, the life of Jesus Christ is yours. His humanity is yours. His story is yours. The declaration about him is the declaration about you. His destiny is your destiny. His father is your father. His spirit is your spirit. Because of his baptism on our behalf. And it didn't have to be this way. Um, Karl Barth says, uh, It is not as though God stands in need of another as his partner. He's called us his partners, his fellows. He doesn't need that. In his life as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he would in truth be no lonesome, no egotistical God, even without man. Yes, even without the whole created universe. But that's the mystery in which he meets us in the existence of Jesus Christ. He wants, in his freedom, actually not to be without man, but with him. And in the same freedom, not against man, but for him. And that apart from or even counter to what man deserves. It's God's free choice to pledge himself to us and to draw us into communion with him. And that's what makes this whole thing the most amazing news the world has ever heard. That's why it's called the gospel, right? The good news of Jesus Christ. The magnitude of this, God for us in the person of his son, in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that relativizes everything else. When you know that you are a son or a daughter of God, that, that, his, that Jesus' Father is your Father, that Jesus' Spirit is your Spirit, when you know that, it changes everything. It changes the way that you approach prayer. It changes the way that you, uh, where, it changes where you find your security in life. It changes how you spend your money, the way you treat other people, the way that you put up with hardships, the way you deal with uh, depression or fight temptation. Knowing that you're a son or daughter of God, it gives you real joy that lasts, peace that lasts, even in the face of death. And it gives you something beautiful to talk about with your friends. This is good news, right? Good news is positive. So let your hearts, minds, and speech be characterized by the positive word about humanity spoken by the Father. You are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, it is a pleasure for us to be able to call you our Father in the very same way that your own Son, Jesus Christ, calls you Father. We thank you for the Spirit who has been given to us and that your love has not only been poured out into our hearts through that Spirit, but that our hearts are caught up in love to you through that spirit so that we cry out, Abba, Father. We delight in who you are and what you've done for us in the incarnation of your Son. And we pray that our delight would capture our attention and our imaginations, that it would uh, influence our 
actions in every way that our delight in who you are and what you've done for us would influence uh, our conversations with everyone around us, that all the fruit of the Spirit would be ours and true of us uh, because of our love to you, because you first loved us and you gave your son Jesus for us. We pray that uh, the gospel truth, Jesus, God the Son in the flesh, come for us to to stand for us in our place. We pray that that would uh, make us alive in a way now that uh, we haven't been before, that it would make us alive now and the rest of the day, the rest of this week, the rest of our lives, that we would be uh, caught up in rapt attention to who you are and your gospel. We pray this uh, for the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.